for the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Kate Scott. This is the update. On today's show, with no live sports to speak of, sports channels across the country are desperate for fresh, original content. Enter NBC Sports Bay Area's timely new series, Race in America, a candid conversation. Oakland native, longtime Bay Area sports scribe, and series co-host Monty Poole is here to discuss how that series came together and what he's taken from the conversations they've shared so far. It's Friday, June 12th. Well, Monty, thank you so much for coming on today. This series, Race in America, a candid conversation, is fantastic. How did it all come together? Well, you know, we were looking at doing our regular schedules, which, you know, a lot of warrior stuff. And frankly, at this time, we were grasping at straws in some ways about other things. And then with the George Floyd murder and the resultant protests and the outcries and the outrage that we see not only in America, but around the globe, we thought there's a sports connection to this because obviously Colin Kaepernick was sort of a flashpoint when he knelt. A bunch of us at NBC Sports Bay Area sort of talked about how we can, I don't want to say use this opportunity, but it is an opportunity. Use this opportunity to shine a light on what America has to deal with, what it is dealing with, and what its future might look like. And we started making a list of people that we might want to be able to talk to. From there, it was just making contact with those people. And we've talked to nine or ten people so far, and we have a list that goes into probably, last time I looked, it was up to about 45, 50 people. Wow. Mostly sports figures, but we also mix in entertainers, politicians, anyone who can shed some light on where we are as a country racially and where we need to go. We're proud of it because it's something that nobody else is doing. And it also gives us some original content, which is tough to come by these days in sports. What was management's response when you guys came up with this idea and took it to them? Our VP of content, Justin Hathaway, was on board from the beginning. He was one of those who had the idea. Of course, he had to go up, up the flagpole, as he said. Right. <laughs> and then we had to go corporate, and they were on board. I was a little bit surprised and relieved. So we're looking at doing two or three each week, hopefully. For now, at least, it's in the news. It's what people are talking about in so many conversations. And so it's been kind of a godsend because it allows people a forum to discuss race and an idea with other people and with people that have similar views and also conflicting views. Ideally, it's a true roundtable. So far, it's working out pretty well. Yeah, and I love that roundtable aspect of it because it feels like you're listening to and kind of eavesdropping on the conversation that you've always wanted to hear, but but up until now, you just haven't been able to. All right, I want to talk approach, Monty. As you mentioned, we've heard from so many different voices already. Sharks of Kane, Niners Ian Williams, A's Bruce Maxwell, Cal's Leisha Clarendon, Sidel Curry-Lee, Steph's sister. We've had former warrior David West, head coach Steve Kerr, Congressman Eric Swalwell. So how have you and your co-host, Logan Murdoch, approached each episode because each has been very different it depends on the guests you know we look at the guests okay here's what we want to discuss with these guests you know that gives us general direction but once the show takes off we just kind of pick up on what they say and go from there you know i mean i've always thought that part of being a good listener is actually listening and if you have a list of, if you have a list of seven questions and somebody has an answer to one of those questions that is worth developing and further augment, then you'd go with that because clearly they have something to say, you know? And so I think it's important to give them the, the space to breathe. And if it takes them four or five minutes to say it, 
if it's riveting, let them go. The show is not about us. It's about them. And our job is just sort of moderate. We just talk about the basic questions and then kind of let it go from there. Because when we first started, we weren't sure whether we would go half an hour or an hour. But when you have three people on, half an hour goes too fast. If you really want to delve into a subject matter, you need the full hour. So we've been running anywhere from, I think the first show we did ran about an hour and five minutes. They had to trim it down to make it fit in an hour for TV. You know, and I thought we had Fidel Curry Lee and Lacey Clarendon on. I thought, ah, this might be a little tough to go for an hour, but they were good. Lacey was really good. I mean, yeah. it was tremendous. And so it helps when you have people who have something interesting to say and have facts behind their opinions. So going off of that, thoughts that your guests have shared, topics that you've delved into that have resonated with you? Bruce Maxwell, when he was on, talked about how three years ago, he's the only baseball player ever to kneel for the National Anthem. And he explained how he did it and why he did it, his thought process behind it. And he said, the day of it, I had a meeting with our manager and our GM, told them what I wanted to do, why I was doing it, the things that affected me personally and my family over my lifetime. I gave them the opportunity to object. I told them, I was like, if you guys do not want to do this as the ownership of the team and my manager of the team, if you guys don't want me to do this because you fear for your family's safety, your name's safety, our team's safety, any of that, I said, do me a favor, come out to me and tell me, and I will find another way. I said, this is something that I personally want to do. This is something that I need to do. I feel like I need to do. There was no objection. So after that meeting, I addressed my team, my team, my trainers, my ball boys, everybody before we went out to batting practice. And I explained to them the same way. I explained to them why I was doing it, why this affects me so much. He knows he's playing Major League Baseball, which as a sport is pretty damn conservative. <laughs> so he knew before I do this, I need to take the temperature in the clubhouse here. And he went to everyone. He said he got no pushback, none at all from anybody. He said, okay, I'm going to do it. And he does it. And Mark Canna stood beside him with his hand on Bruce's shoulder the entire time. Bruce, of course, got booze and cheers. First time he did it was in Oakland, and he's gone to other places, and it was not a warm reception because, again, people equate kneeling for the anthem with disrespecting the flag. That is not what it's about, never has been what it's about, but wanted to hear that. They heard that from the, at the time of the candidate, Donald Trump. And they heard from other people that were on social media that these guys are disrespecting the flag. They don't like America. Neither one of those assertions is true. Beyond that, it's been three years now. Bruce said, I still get hate mail. And I had people sending me the nastiest messages and comments you could possibly think of when it comes to race. I had people threatening to find my mother and my sister. I had one guy threaten to blow up my sister's gym. She was a college coach at the time out in Texas, and he threatened to blow up her gym while she was in it, her and her girls. I mean, he said it's the level of hate all these years later is still crazy. And that resonated with me because it says that people aren't listening. They took the demonstrations that both Kaepernick and Bruce did and twisted it to fit their narrative. Bruce and Colin both said the same thing. No, this is not about hating America. It's not about being anti-American. It's not about hating the military. It's about two things, racial injustice and police brutality. From the start, I always thought, if you don't like what Kaepernick is doing, you don't like what Bruce Maxwell is doing, if you have a problem with that, that means you're okay with the things they're protesting against. If you're okay with police brutality, then go ahead, you know, hate on Maxwell, hate on Kaepernick, because 
that's basically what you're hating is that they are demonstrating against those things and you don't want to see that. So therefore you go ahead and, and you boo them. So I wrote about that and just how sad it is that he's still getting hate mail three years after he knelt for the anthem. And the other one that stuck out for me was David West talking about this one. I, I'm aware of already as a black man. David West was talking about how he has a 11 year old son. And he said, I'm scared to death to let him out of my sight. You know, my son is five, three, 120 pounds he's 11 years old so he is a big kid and i'm scared to death for him i don't want to send him to school i don't want him out of my sight you hear the stories of kids disappearing and kids being killed tamir rice was a classic example i think he was 12 in cleveland when he was shot and killed by a cleveland police officer who had been fired elsewhere and that stuck with me it's the conversation that all black fathers must have with their sons and that is that if you get stopped by the police, here's what you do. You remain as calm as possible. Keep your hands visible. I mean, the whole sort of response to a stop, and you don't want to give anybody a reason to think that you're even thinking about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, because it's too easy to get shot. We've seen it happen before. Many times we've seen police officers shoot someone without a real reason and they get off because there are so many waves and hurdles of protection at them being a police officer. The last being the famous line that I was in fear of my life. And when a police officer is in fear of his life, you know, let him shoot. So, you know, David, he's right. The numbers back it up. Black young men and boys are two and a half to three times more likely to be shot by police than white young men and boys, even though there are roughly five times more <laughs> white young men and boys in America. Those stand out to me as things that I think people need to be aware of. It's one in Bruce's cases is that they essentially hijacked the message to fit their narrative in Bruce's case and made it about him hating the flag. And then two, in, in David's case, they made it about how important it is to communicate to your, your boy, your young boy, just the best way to handle being stopped because in many cases, they'll be stopped with no reason other than the fact that their skin is dark brown or black or it's dark. I found it fascinating the role that multiple guests, including Bruce and Lasia, mentioned COVID-19 and the pandemic playing in all of this, Monty. Lasia, I think, put it best as she said, the world is on pause. And that's one of the reasons that so many Americans, particularly white Americans, are suddenly paying attention to something that has existed since the birth of this nation. What are your thoughts on the pandemic's role in all of this? Yeah, I think that's definitely a factor for sure. You know, many people have been cooped up in their homes. That has led to desire to get out. And also it has led people to be more educated because COVID-19 dominated the news cycle. And we saw its effect and you start hearing about how it affects the minority communities more so than any other community. It's another example of how, in America at least, there's a double standard for people of color. COVID-19 response and the COVID-19 statistics point out that. And then you look at the fact that demonstrations are happening, certainly in the U.S. and around the world, and the demonstrations are multicultural. And I think this has come at a time when people saw what happened to George Floyd, and they were repulsed by it. And to me, you don't have to be a Black person to be repulsed by that. Anyone who sees that video has to go, oh my God, what the hell is going on here? It's something that as Black people, we have kind of seen before and heard before. And the difference is that it's on video now and more and more things are on video now that used to be just word of mouth. And when word of mouth was citizen versus a police officer, guess who won? 
So for Laser to go down that road and talk about the way the pandemic has sort of played a role in it, it has in, in those two ways. And that A, it's forced people to educate themselves about the dangers of society. And B, it's allowed them to talk themselves into wanting to participate and be a part of the movement. And you're seeing it in places now that we didn't see this before. When I saw Salt Lake City, I like, oh, this is huge. Salt Lake City is having Black Lives Matter protests. You know, Piedmont, California, Los Gatos, California. I mean, Lafayette. I mean, all these Tony suburbs are seeing this. And so I think it's gratifying. It gives me hope. It's encouraging to see this because it tells me that people are now recognizing this is not a African-American problem. It's a human rights problem, which is always what it's been. But for so many years, it was easy to say, wow, man, I feel sorry for those people over there because they have to deal with this. And now people are saying, well, we all see this. We don't all deal with this maybe on a personal level, but we all can be a part of a society that tries to get rid of this. And I think that's what you're saying. When you see statues of slave traders being toppled over in Europe and you see 50,000 people in the streets of Sydney, Australia, this is bigger than we've ever seen. And that's why, to me, it's encouraging. I think the young generation, mostly people who are between the ages of 16 and 30, I think those people are driven to make a better world. They understand the need for a multicultural society. They understand that the American demographics are changing and that America needs to change with those demographics. And that's something that your typical 70-year-old conservative can't see and won't see. It gives me a good feeling that see the energy behind this movement. It just makes me happy to see the energy. Yeah, me too. Monty, as always, it was great chatting with you. Thanks so much for the time today. All right, Kate. Appreciate you, man. You keep doing what you're doing. You too. The latest episode of Race in America, a candid conversation, debuts tonight. You can catch it at 8 p.m. Pacific time and on replays overnight on NBC Sports Bay Area. The 49ers' Eric Armstead and San Jose State running backs' coach Alonzo Carter are tonight's guests. And speaking of Coach Carter, we are going to talk about what he's been up to the past few months when Deshaun Reed joins us here on The Update on Monday. Until then, all previous episodes of Race in America are up on YouTube, and we've linked to where you can find them in the description notes of our podcast here today. Don't forget, you can now listen to us through any of your Google devices. Just tell your assistant, play the update with Kate Scott podcast. For all of us here at the update, thanks to Monty for stopping by. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Kate Scott. Have a safe and healthy weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you again on Monday.